what I've learned is that when people come in and say, well, it's like this, but it's different. That is a much easier path for me to understand a new idea. When I can anchor it in something that I know and something that I'm familiar with, but then they can go forward in terms of explaining why it's different. That becomes something that's really helpful in being able to get my head around a new idea. Welcome to Leading Innovation, the podcast designed to help you master the art and practice of leading the next big breakthrough of your organization. I'm your host, John Lowry. One of my favorite books on innovation is The Myth of the Garage by Dan Heath and Chip Heath. Dan and Chip are brothers, both are professors and have done a lot of research and writing on business and innovation and change. Two brilliant guys who wrote this little book, very, very small, not very long, takes less than an hour to read. But in it, they give a couple of lessons that are very, very powerful that grow out of their research. One of them, which surprised me, was understanding who the entrepreneurs and innovators are that actually bring successful ideas to reality. Now, sometimes if you're like me, you think about these innovators and entrepreneurs as these kind of young, brilliant people that are in their garage and they're thinking about things and they're creating things and they're uh, playing with different uh, technology. And as a result of that, they produce something in their garage that they then take to market and they make billions and billions of dollars. Uh, That's what we typically think about in terms of who's innovating. But the reality is, is that's a myth. That is not the truth in terms of who's bringing about the most innovation. The reality is, is that the people who are bringing about the most innovation, who are doing some really interesting and impactful things with new ideas, are folks that actually have a lot of experience in the space. They tend to be older, they tend to have long accomplished careers, and they get to a moment to where they have an idea and they realize that they may need to get outside of their organization to pursue the idea, maybe not, but they realize that time is getting short on their career and they need to bring that new idea to market. And so the typical entrepreneur, those that are having really successful innovation adventures, those are folks that are actually at the end of the career, not at the beginning of their career. And if you look at companies like HCA, for example, was founded by a couple of people that were kind of mid-career or maybe even close to the end of their career. Uh, It was actually someone who started a fast food chain, and then it was another person who was a doctor. And they came together and said, what if we took some of the elements of fast food and then turned those elements into a strategy to where we can deliver healthcare, do so more efficiently, and as a result of that, we can allow people to have more access to care. And out of that was born the largest hospital company in the world. It was born because of two men later in their careers taking their experience, blending it together, 
and coming up with a new idea that now has not only changed the landscape of healthcare, but has done something that's very significant for our economy as well. And so companies aren't born out of garages. Companies are actually born out of companies. Now, if you're a leader and you hear that and you recognize that, I hope you will see the opportunity of that with me. Because in your company, as you're working every day to serve your customers and your clients and to carry out your mission, there's actually something that may be far more significant that can come from that. Because as new ideas emerge based upon all of the learning that you and your colleagues have done running your company, that learning can be valuable in terms of the next idea, or maybe the next company, or maybe the next industry that doesn't even exist. One of the things that is so challenging for higher education administrators is to recognize that while they come up with all these majors and all these courses of study for students to take, what they realize is that for many of their students, they will be working in jobs and industries that do not even exist yet. So take healthcare technology, for example. Um, At uh, Lipscomb University, where I worked for a number of years, uh, we started a, a healthcare informatics program probably 10 years or so ago. And at that moment that we started, that industry barely existed. It was brand new. And now healthcare information technology is an absolutely huge industry and is continuing to grow. And yet it was hard to try to figure out how do we train students for industries that don't even exist. Well, that same application applies in terms of thinking about running a company or an organization. There are ideas to where you can't see them yet because the ingredients and the knowledge and the dynamics and all those things, they haven't manifested themselves yet. But one of the things that's so important that I think the myth of the garage reminds us of is that we have to create these environments that allow for innovation to happen. We've got to recognize that the next great company may be born out of the very company that we're serving in right now. But if we as leaders don't create the environment for people to bring those ideas to bear, for that knowledge to then activate in such a way that it brings new value to customers and clients and industries, then we will kill innovation. We will make it difficult for new ideas to win. And it's out of these moments that crazy things happen. I think about the game of volleyball. You think about volleyball. Volleyball is a fun sport, played probably more on the West Coast in terms of on the beach and things like that. But indoor volleyball has become wildly popular, especially at the high school and college level, even at the travel level for young kids. You go to these convention centers and it's nuts to walk in. And here you see hundreds and hundreds of kids on just scores of courts playing volleyball. What's interesting is how volleyball was created. Uh, Volleyball was created actually in Massachusetts uh, to where you had people that were part of the YMCA. And there was this moment where you had tennis players that wanted to play tennis, but tennis in February in Massachusetts doesn't work very well. Uh, The weather just doesn't allow for it. 
And so the options that these folks had were to come inside and to play basketball. But basketball was too intense. It was too physical. People were getting injured. And so here you took the knowledge that the YMCA had, knowing that they had people who wanted to play tennis, and tennis involves a a ball and some rackets and a net. Those people didn't want to play a game that was as physical as basketball. And so they had to find somewhere in there, based upon all that knowledge, was there a happy medium? And so one day there was somebody there at the YMCA that literally cut the inner lining of a basketball out. Just that rubber area that holds all the air in a basketball. They took the leather off the ball and they put up a tennis net, but they decided to raise it higher. They put six people on one side, six people on the other. And here you had a blend of basketball and tennis that became the game of volleyball. Now, notice that wasn't someone that was in their garage or uh, at a park somewhere creating an absolutely new game. That was someone who took two very well-established, highly popular games. And what they did was they repackaged those games, they blended them together, and as a result, they launched an entire new sport that here 100 years or so later is wildly popular. And so the source of new ideas is current knowledge, current learning, current activity. But it's thinking about it in new ways. It's thinking about new ways to blend it with something else. It's thinking about perhaps new ways to go about doing it. That, that is how innovation happens. And that's how successful innovation is often born. Another interesting idea is how we communicate about innovation. Uh, Chip and Dan touch on this in the myth of the garage, but I want to go beyond that in terms of thinking about this whole idea of same but different. And so many times when you're talking about new innovation, I, I experience this oftentimes when I'm talking with technology professionals to where they are so into their technology and they describe it in such detail that frankly, they lose me. I have no idea what they're talking about. I don't know the technical language that they're using. And as a result of that, I have a very difficult time getting my head around and getting a visual or an understanding of what this technology does. I'm lost. But what I've learned is that when people come in and say, well, it's like this, but it's different. That is a much easier path for me to understand a new idea. When I can anchor it in something that I know and something that I'm familiar with, but then they can go forward in terms of explaining why it's different. That becomes something that's really helpful in being able to get my head around a new idea. Now, why is that important? Well, that's important because of buy-in. Innovation doesn't go very far unless you have the buy-in of people around it. Uh, Your new idea is not going to sell unless the customer base and the market can understand what it is and can get their head around it. And this is a great way to be able to explain a new idea. So take Southwest Airlines, for example. 
I love Southwest Airlines. I fly on it often. But I love the story of Southwest Airlines to where way back in the 1970s, I think it was, here you had a business person in Texas who said, I think I can do aviation and airline travel very, very differently. Now, notice it was the same, right? It was 100 or so people getting on an airplane, sitting in a seat, putting on their seatbelt, putting their luggage underneath and flying to another city and getting out of the airplane and getting their luggage and moving on with their life. I mean, it was the same in terms of it was an airline and it allowed people to travel from city to city via airplane through the air. But the way that Herb Kelleher wanted to do it was wildly different. So it was the same, but it was different. And so what Herb Kelleher introduced was said, what if instead of you know, us being very, very formal, what if we were a bit more informal? And instead of us having a lot of structures that we had to manage in terms of a particular flight, what if we removed some of those structures that would allow the flight experience to not only be better, but also be more efficient? And so what did Southwest do? They said, well, pick your own seat. We're not going to assign you a seat. Just pick your own. We'll give you a boarding card. We'll tell you when to board. And then once you get on the plane, pick your own seat. Same, but different. They told their flight attendants, listen, we want you to create the most fun and entertaining flight experience that you can create for people. And so out of that came the funny safety announcements where flight attendants would joke, you know, if you smoke in the laboratory, uh, we're going to put you out on the wing to watch the feature film Gone with the Wind. And they've got all these jokes that I'm sure that you've heard uh, if you've been on a Southwest Airlines flight. And so they took something that was kind of boring and kind of rigid and not very fun, such as the safety announcements, they found a way to make those fun and engaging. And then they allowed their people to dress very differently. Instead of wearing ties, they're allowed to wear golf shirts. And instead of having to wear formal dresses and things like that, stewardesses can wear khakis and can dress in a more comfortable way. And then the way they engage people is very different. I mean, their New York um, uh, Wall Street ticker symbol is love, L-U-V. And that's reflected in the culture of the company to where Southwest loves its employees and it loves its employees for the purpose of its employees loving its customers. So there you have the same, but different. And as a result of that, you get an understanding very quickly of what Southwest Airlines is all about. You understand the innovation that happened in terms of what Herb Kelleher did in building that incredibly successful airline. And so you're, as you're thinking about new ideas, let me just offer this to you. Just define what is it like? What is it similar to? What can you anchor it in? And then how can you differentiate it from whatever that is? That will be helpful in getting people on board and understanding your next big idea. The other thing that I think Chip and Dan Heath point out that's so interesting uh, is this notion of really trying to get an understanding of what you're trying to do with a, with a really big idea or something that's new. And so as you're coming up with something, ask this question, what job is it designed to do? 
And what you find is that if there isn't a clear answer to that question, then the chances of that idea being successful go down. If there is a clear task, if there's a clear duty, if there's a clear service, if there is a clear need that is met, the chances of that idea go up substantially. So I love the story of masking tape. Well, it actually got made up in Minnesota uh, by what is now the 3M Corporation. And here you had this moment where you had uh, auto repair shops that were having to paint cars. So cars got made, they got painted, and then now came the two-tone to where all of a sudden people wanted their cars to be two different colors. But painting that was very difficult because it was almost impossible by hand to get that line perfectly straight between the two tones of paint. And so what would happen is you would have people that were working in these body shops and they would take a whole mess of of chemicals and sand and other stuff and they would mix it all together and then they would try to find some paper and they would see if they couldn't get that paper to stick to the side of that car so they then would have a straight line with which to paint and create the two-tone. And it was finally an an engineer at what is now 3M who said, there's got to be a way to blend all that together to where you didn't have to come up with this concoction every time uh, to where you were coming up with the substance and then you were trying to apply the paper. It seemed really, really uh, difficult. But instead, what he came up with is says, what if you put that substance on the back of a really thin piece of paper? What if you did that? Could you then stick that piece of paper, have it stick, but have it stick in such a way that it didn't destroy whatever it was stuck to? And that was how masking tape was birthed. And here we are again, a hundred and something years later, and this is still being used to be able to apply different sorts of things to each other. Um, it's used in painting product projects and products across the world. It is making a huge difference. But notice that masking tape was born because it had a very clear duty. Masking tape was the thing that allowed two-tone painting to happen. Now, it's grown well beyond that particular duty, but it was that clear duty that made it very very successful. So as we think about innovation, as we launch this conversation together in this uh, early episode, I want you to think with me about these three lessons that are very, very important to recognize that new ideas are generated by your expertise, your experience, all the things that you know. It's typically out of that that a new idea will emerge. It's not necessarily just going and sitting in your garage or sitting in a think tank or sitting in an innovation lab trying to come up with a new idea. Usually it's born out of having knowledge and through that knowledge, recognizing when something can be better or something can be more efficient. And as a result of that, you can take that 
and become a world-changing innovator. As you begin to think about selling that innovation, recognize that it is easier to sell it if you can find something that is similar to and then spend your energy explaining how it's different. This same but different methodology for bringing people in and helping them understand a new idea is incredibly valuable. And then as we think about those new ideas that will make a difference, those new ideas that have an identified clear duty, an identified clear task, or clearly solve an identified problem, those are the innovations that have the best chance of sticking, of being successful and making a difference in this world. And so I wish you the best in terms of those new innovative ideas. Recognize that you, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, no matter how you think, you have the opportunity to become an incredible innovator. And you have the opportunity to add value to any new idea, even if it's not yours, in terms of helping that new idea become something that can make a a difference in people's lives.